Because when you look at the roster, and we've talked about this before, who are the tent pole players? The players holding up everybody else, providing cover in case of uh, not just bad weather, but against bad matchups. You don't have any. Okay, Matt Judon's on the sideline. Christian Gonzalez on the sideline. And that's it. The quarterback right now is 30th in EPA and completion over expected, which basically says how accurate are you besides completion percentage. Okay. That's not going to cut it. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. It's a post-game podcast and Pats Interference brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And I got to say, I feel for you. On the other end of another Patriots loss, 20-17, this one obviously to the Commanders on Sunday. The ball threw Juju Smith-Schuster's hands into the clutches of the Commanders. And, well, the Patriots are 2-7. and seven. And I feel for you because... Honestly, it's a good thing the Patriots are not playing on Thanksgiving because I'd hate for you to decide between watching this football team and having to talk to your aunt who won the race at the bottom of the bottle of Merlot uh, or some crazy uncle who wants to talk about the presidential election next year because it's that bad. You might choose to talk about uh, politics over this Patriots team. And I talked about this with Mutt last week. I didn't expect him to win. And in some ways, rewatching the film, which we're going to go over, and we're going to have the good, we're going to do the bad, we need to talk, what would NFL film say, and then get to your mailbag questions. It was better, um, and in most ways, so it was a lot worse. And the takeaway I had is stuff that I've talked about with people within the team in the last 24 hours, mostly just texts, but the sentiment that you would think they would have after 2-7, and seven, which is, we suck, man. Like they, they don't, they tell me, I don't know what to tell you. The record is what it is. Patriots have the second worst point differential in the league. They're 30th in EPA on offense, only ahead of the Jets and Giants, who are both ahead of them on defense, where the Patriots are 25th. And they're 29th on special teams heading into this week by DVOA, 25th right now by PFF. And they go, yeah, we might be the worst team in the league. And that sounds like, post-loss depression, but in my takeaways, in the big film breakdown I wrote for the Herald, which you can find online, and please look at it. It's actually one of my better ones. Uh, I get the sense they're heading in that direction. Because when you look at the roster, and we've talked about this before, who are the tent pole players? The players holding up everybody else, providing cover in case of uh, not just bad weather, but against bad matchups? You don't have any. Okay, Matt Judon's on the sideline. Christian Gonzalez on the sideline. And that's it. The quarterback right now is 30th in EPA and completion over expected, which basically says how accurate are you besides completion percentage, okay? That's not going to cut it. And, of course, if you defend Mac Jones, just fine. You're going to go, well, the receivers stink. And you're right, too, because against man coverage against Washington, the most damning stat that you can find in the last couple of weeks is the Patriots play offense. This was a bottom 10 pass defense. This is the worst deep ball defense in the league. And the Patriots against man coverage caught 10 passes on 23 attempts for 85 yards. A touchdown went to Hunter Henry, now a receiver, and an interception. And the guy they picked on, Emmanuel Forbes, first-round rookie at Mississippi State, they said this is a weak spot. They felt so strongly about Emmanuel Forbes being a weak spot. Mac Jones admitted it in his post-game press conference. Well, that dude had two pass deflections, and he gave up two catches. And unless those catches are both touchdowns, it's a great day at the offense for any kind of quarterback. So even the weak players on a bottom 10 pass defense that the Patriots are going after, they can't capitalize because the knife they're bringing to this gunfight, this is not even a, a, a gunfight against Washington. 
But the weapons they're bringing are Jalen Rager, Juju Smith-Schuster, Pop Douglas, and as we know, Tyquan Thornton, who we're going to get to in a second. And there's no real changing that. Devontae Parker might not, might come back. Kendrick Bournes, not coming back. The offensive line is not going to be a help. Connor McDermott, we spent most of the summer at right tackle, started at left tackle, gave up four pressures. The only offensive lineman to escape with a clean sheet was City Sal, meaning no pressures allowed and no run stuffs. Okay? They're locked into that roster. And defensively, this is a team that gave up almost 450 yards. Okay? Would have lost the game in the first half were it not for a mind-numbing interception by Sam Howell at the end of the half and a fumble to start the second quarter. Okay, which credit to Jelani Tavai, wrote about him this week. Shout out. But this is a bad performance, and it started in the back. The secondary the last three weeks has gotten smoked, and it doesn't just include J.C. Jackson and Jack Jones, who definitely were benched, because Sean Wade, who started the game and played in the second series, saw one snap, all of a single snap after that point. When J.C. Jackson came back and then Jack Jones came back in the fourth possession, because they didn't need him. All they needed to do, apparently, was send a message to Jack and JC that your play was not good enough against Miami and not good enough against Buffalo. Well, turns out they didn't get that message because Jack didn't really play in the second half, and JC Jackson gave up some bad catches, including one third and 10 completion against the Blitz, uh, where he lost the line of scrimmage. That was it. And the commander scored in that drive. And so I feel like I've just jumped to the bad because, again, you're two and seven. That's all you're doing. Second worst point differential in the league. But that's where we're at with this team. And initially when I have those texts that I look at and go, okay, this is just, you know, losing talking. It's Monday. You'll get into the film. You'll talk yourself into, we can win. We can do this against the Colts on Sunday. That spread, by the way, flipped from early last week. Patriots favored by, I think, two and a half I saw. It might have been one and a half somewhere. So now the Colts are favored by that same amount. Um, it's, it's a bad spot. It's a really bad spot. And we knew this. There's not a whole lot more to say. So we're just going to get straight to it. And then we're going to go back on the therapy couch, which you can still not see for the folks on YouTube here to my right and uh, get out of here because I would love to talk about next week in Germany. And we're going to have a lot of fun coming to you from Germany. Doug Kai is going to be back on the pod at the end of this week. And we'll uh, tell you what that trip is all about because then mercifully, mercifully, the buy is going to come. And then a trip to see the Giants who, if you think this podcast has been depressing, if you have any friends <laughs> who root for the Giants or had the Giants as some kind of major part of their lives, just ask about them as Daniel Jones now is torn into ACL. All right, let's get to the good. Rondre Stevenson. Welcome back, buddy. Uh, four broken tackles. We all saw the 64-yard touchdown run. That was the longest play from scrimmage for the Patriots this season. Just bar barely eclipsing, of course. Big play, Farrell Brown, um, who had nearly a 60-yard touchdown catch and run against the Jets in week three. But it was 44 yards longer than the Patriots' previous long run of the season. Not from Stevenson, but a jet sweep courtesy of DeMario Douglas against Buffalo. Uh, Stevenson broke these tackles in open space, in tight quarters. He's getting back to the guy that you saw at the end of 2021 as a rookie and then last year, literally carrying the team, running through contact, right as he gets to the line of scrimmage. I don't think he's there yet. But when you look at the splits between how much he's playing and Ezekiel Elliott, they're still trading off drives. And I think to keep him fresh, that's a good idea. But for the sake of winning or just making these games interesting, uh, he should start to play more. More good. I mentioned City Sal. No run stuff's allowed. No pressures playing right guard. You can't say that about any other lineman on the roster. And this is a guy who, you'll remember, spent a lot of the summer at right tackle. Okay? 
And he's been back at his old position from college at Eastern Michigan. Lo and behold, looks great. Uh, Jelani Tavai also forced to fumble. And again, 20 to 17 sounds close, but you and I watched that game. Okay, The commanders were in control. And when they weren't, it was their own fault from those turnovers that just made you go, is Sam Howell doing this for fun? Like, is he bored out there? Uh, because otherwise, he was toying with this defense, which, as I mentioned, came in with this big plan to blitz. And I'm going to dig up these numbers sometime this week because the Patriots, as we continue now with the good to the bad, have to be among the worst blitzing teams in the league. And, and I'll, have, I'll have them for you. It might be next episode or just writing for the Herald this week. But against the blitz, Sam Howell, who had struggled, struggled so much that he leads the league in sacks, 44 taken. And that's not on an offensive line. The more we learn, sacks are really about a quarterback and how quickly he gets the ball out, whether you're just throwing the ball away or getting it to an intended receiver. The guy who had taken 41 sacks coming into Sunday and then took three more, went 8 of 11 for 107 yards and a touchdown against the Blitz. That was their plan A. He shredded it. When he saw it nine times in the first half, only twice after halftime. But the last one was a 33-yard touchdown uh, down the middle. And that was allowed by, going into more of the bad, a secondary where Miles Bryant told me after the game. And <laughs> I know those of you who get on Miles Bryant's case, then get on me because here I am, some sort of Miles Bryant believer, uh, told me and admitted, hey, second and 10, they saw blitz. I thought we were getting a quick game concept. So he flies to the line of scrimmage. Makes a quick check. I think it was Jack Jones who was the outside corner in this play. You'll remember early third quarter, uh, mid third quarter. He just goes, I was wrong. And sometimes you can just shrug like that and you go, I was wrong. Other times you give up a touchdown and that touchdown ties a game in which you cannot really afford to be tied knowing how inept this pass offense is. And so whether it was Miles Bryant taking that gamble and losing because his dude went just straight by. And I, I should say who scored. It was right here. I've been looking through this film all all freaking day. Um, or it was Jalen Mills taking a poor angle on a 36-yard catch and run for Terry McLaurin. It was Jahan Dotson who scored that touchdown. I really should have known that. Um, or it was J.C. Jackson, again, losing off the line to Terry McLaurin. Or Jack Jones getting turned around for three catches in the second quarter alone. The whole secondary was bad. Okay, Adrian Phillips played nine snaps. He missed two tackles. That's not gonna. I don't care if you're playing Pop Warner. That's not going to cut it. So this secondary failed in the back end. Okay, so we've all seen the Patriots struggle to score this season. That has been no secret. But I have something new for you. And that is the fact that you at home or walking the dog or at the gym or grocery shopping, you yourself can score this season with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets. That's $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Again, 150 bucks. If you pick a team and that team wins, and if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, you've heard me talk about them a lot. There is no better time than right now to get in on the action because the app is super easy to use. And if you don't like picking straight up winners, you could go with point spreads or player props over unders and tons and tons more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and open up the NFL season on your terms with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Massachusetts must be 21 year older and present in the state in order to bet. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. 
$10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And up front, despite getting help with some extra blitz pressure, again, 8 of 11, 107 yards and a touchdown, had a pressure rate again under 20%. Okay, Juwan Bentley gets credited with two two sacks, one of which was an extended play. Another was Sam Howell's trying to run and he didn't get back to the line of scrimmage. So not good all around. And when it wasn't only that you just don't get pressure, when they did sometimes, Dietrich Wise, end of the first half, third and 24. You know how this ends. 24-yard scramble. And you know how Sam Howell got to scramble for 24 yards? It was a missed tackle from Adrian Phillips with uh, partial credit to Jalen Mills. It was Wise just going right behind him, the one place you can't be. And so the basic breakdowns, whether it's the lack of pass rush discipline, fundamental tackling, there was a snap. Anthony Jennings and Jawan Bentley followed the same running back in flare motion, meaning he was just running parallel to the line of scrimmage out of a shotgun formation. Both of them were like, oh, well, let's go hang out with him. No, no, no. That's not how that defensive check is supposed to go. There were just breakdowns everywhere. And again, it started in the back. The pressure wasn't good enough. Neither was the game plan all around bad. Uh, but let's go back to the offense because, as I said, you know, the, their Patriots are outgained by over 100 yards. Lower success rate, lower explosive play rate. They held the ball for 15 fewer minutes than the commanders, which you never see. And McDermott gives up four pressures, whatever. That's to be expected for a guy who's playing left tackle and has been around and been around because he's Connor McDermott. He's not, he's, not a, he's not a starting caliber player. The Patriots are not only running out of players, whether it's offensive tackle or receiver. Again, they activated four. One got benched. You're down to three. We'll talk about Keishon Booty later. They're running out of plays. Okay, because if you look at that last drive, as I did today, part of the huge film review, Juju Smith-Schuster runs, I don't know, it's like eight to 10 yard in cut behind a return route from the slot receiver. So he's outside, runs a deep in cut over the middle, return route, which is like a pivot jerk route. Same one Julian Edelman scored at the end of the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. Underneath, it's supposed to clear out. It's a high-low concept. Juju is the high. Gasicki was underneath. Okay, the ball goes off his hands. Interception. We all saw it. I, I I don't feel the need to expound upon this. It was bad. Shouldn't have happened. Completely a drop. The people who think that was on Mac or was a Mac decision, a poor Mac decision, uh, are out of their minds. I know Jonathan Vilma said that in the broadcast. He blew it. He should know that he blew it. The ball hit Juju's hands with his feet on the ground and his arms weren't f- fully extended. But as I said, on that final drive, they ran that same high-low concept Six plays earlier. And you've heard me talk a lot about motion. Again, hopefully there's no drinking game associated with me talking about motion because you wouldn't be alive to listen to me talk about this play right now. But the point is, whether it's swing screens or bubble screens accompanied by RP, uh, within RPOs, okay, or that concept, or slant flat, or all these basic day one, day two install stuff, that's what the Patriots offense has been reduced to. And that is on the receivers. It's also on Mac Jones, who can't complete a deep pass. One deep pass over 20 yards completed in the last month. That's how bad it is on offense right now. They're running out of plays, and they're running out of players because on their biggest drive of the game, and one of their biggest of the season, they're repeating plays with a player that they didn't want to put on the field. Juju Smith-Schuster, five snaps in the first half, and then ends up with five catches on six targets 
mostly due to his work in the second half, a guy they didn't want to have in the field and plays they don't want to run. They would rather run different stuff to stay less predictable, and they can't. They lose the game because he dropped the ball. That's – I'm sorry. It's already as depressing as we talked about at the beginning. Let's wrap up the bad, and we'll get on to we need to talk, which is just code for worse. Um, Josh Uche, uh, 17 snaps, comes back from an injury, been dealing with a toe and an ankle, I think it was. The one – Snap that really mattered was not the one where he got a QB hit uh, against a blitz call. It was when he knifed inside of the D gap on a play side run that resulted in a nine yard touchdown run for Washington in the first half. And I, I swear to God, this is chum in the water, human chum in the water for opposing offenses, whether it's a guy like Josh McDaniels, then the head coach of the Raiders in Vegas a couple weeks ago, who as soon as Uche hits the field is running in that direction or Eric Bieniemy for the Commanders sees Josh Uche on the field, second and seven. The Commanders pass more, as we talked about last week, more than any other offense in the league. But they make an exception when there's Josh Uche. And so what does Josh Uche do? As I said, knives inside of his gap. Jabril Peppers working in the outside, takes the outside, and that just opens up this huge lane that Brian Robinson scoots through and virtually untouched. He might have actually been untouched uh, on that way. And you just you can't have it. That's, again, why I thought they should have dealt him at the trade deadline. It sounds like their offers were underwhelming, we'll put it. Um, but they can't use him here in the way that they need to or want to, and it's just uh, altogether bad. That was the bad segment. Okay, we need to talk. <sighs> Tyquan Thornton. I, uh, I'm i out. That's it. I, I feel bad that he has dealt with a broken collarbone and a shoulder injury. And he's dealt with some lower body stuff. And this is a guy who didn't miss a game in college. This is a guy who blocked his ass off in college at Baylor, 4'3 speed, six foot two. We all know everything. But uh, there's nothing I've seen on his regular season tape to indicate to me he is in any way going to be an impact player. And I don't root to be right in this case because that means a second round pick, a young kid, does not realize his NFL dreams. I just, if I have to bet, on what the future holds for Tyquan Thornton, it's not going to be anything good because he caught one of four targets against Washington. Again, a bottom 10 pass defense, the worst deep ball defense in the league. And the one catch he did have wasn't against man coverage. It was against zone, which, hey, it's not, it's not a knock. It's just zone. But when he needed to separate against man coverage, he couldn't do it. And it's not just that the Patriots aren't sending him straight downfield every single time, which would be a little bit of a tell, don't you think, for the folks who are, are blaming the team for this? I would just ask you to watch those plays again, particularly the third down throw at the end of the Patriots, third drive, where it's the same in cut. Mac delivers the ball, hits him basically right in the hands as he did Juju on the last drive, and it goes right through him. Like, this is a guy who's not winning with his physicality. He's not winning with his quickness. We knew from one of the worst three-cone times at the combine when he came out last year from Baylor, okay? So where is he going to run? He needs to win off the line and at the top of his routes. And he's not doing either of those as I captured. And this went viral a little bit on Twitter with the accompanying video from Mike Cadillac of WEI, where the top of his route is like, he's tap dancing. Okay. He just can't have it. And Emmanuel Forbes, again, they were trying to pick on him is in a spot where you don't really want to run an out route to that kind of leverage. But if you are just get to it because he can't run routes like that. And you know how I know that? Because he didn't run any more routes for the rest of the game. And moving forward, I would not be surprised if he swapped out for Kayshawn Booty. We're still not going to talk about it. We'll get to it later. Uh, because 
it was that bad. I, I don't think he's in the graces of Bill Belichick right now, based on what I've seen. And it's hard to think that based on Sunday's performance that he'll be out of the doghouse anytime soon. All right, what would NFL film say? This is very quick. Again, the team is 2-7. and seven, They're still filming. Um, it starts with the flyover, honoring Veterans Day or all the military uh, you know, efforts that the, the league monetizes and commod- uh, commodifies. But flyover goes, which is cool. Patriots are down 10, I think it was. Again, I should know. This is when you get too into the weeds and you can't see um, forest for the trees here. So they get down early. They show, yeah, they were down 10 nothing. Just trust your instincts, Callahan. They're down 10 nothing. <laughs> they come back. Showing a little bit of fight. You get the home crowd into it, all right? Uh, but, of course, you don't have it because, you know, coming off of two divisional games and going into a Germany game, NFL Films is not spending a ton of time on this. And so they speed right to the end for another late-game meltdown with Juju and the pass going through his hands. Um, results in a Washington win. And they walk off 2-7, and seven, and that's just on to Germany. I swear. I mean, I'm, I'm making the documentary. I get to make these decisions. This clip might not be – more than 30 seconds to a minute long in the whole hour on the 2023 Patriots. And honestly, I don't think you're that upset about it. So we'll move on. What are you upset about? Let's find out with the mailbag. We, uh, I think I got to every single question but one this week, one of which either wasn't Patriots related or just uh, is a little bit too far in the future. But we have a monster mailbag here. So let's start right off with Ashley. I've not heard from her in a while. Welcome back. Uh, Ashley. Asking, cool. Hi, Andrew. Are you currently in favor of option one, get a new quarterback and everything else will follow strategy or uh, option two, get new players and keep Mac for year four? The implication being that if Mac fails in year four, then you search for a QB next year. Look, I think almost no matter regardless of the combination of players that you could bring in, Aside from a good quarterback, which if you draft them, obviously you don't know. We've all missed and misjudged quarterbacks. Uh, Whether inside front offices, coaching staffs are just sitting here in your office recording a podcast or listening to one on your end. But if you nail the quarterback, that's the most important thing. And no amount of players that you could bring in around Mac, I think you're going to make that much of a difference. Never mind the fact that you would need to pick up Mac's fifth-year option by May. And so I'm in the camp of go get the most important player at the most important position in all those sports. Because, and this will be an extreme example, C.J. Stroud posted the highest passer rating of any rookie quarterback ever on Sunday in Houston, okay? So, again, this is unprecedented, but around him is a bad roster, and the Texans are 4-4. and That's the power of rookie quarterback. You go back to Andrew Luck, taking the Colts to playoffs in his first year, or any number of year one, ooh, he's got it, or Lamar Jackson. Year two, wins the MVP. Justin Herbert, you have the problem out there in L.A., okay? Not that they've won anything. Guy who gets a lot of flack for being, like, big, big fan of the analytics community. But, like, the, the dude looks the part, okay? He, there's a part of Justin Herbert that appeals to everybody. And the point is, if you land any one of those players, which you should, somewhere in the top five, top seven, top eight, top ten of the NFL draft, it's not that nothing else matters, but that's the first domino, okay? And if you want to get the rest to fall, it starts there. And so I have seen enough for Mac. I think he could function as a starting NFL quarterback in a really favorable situation. That's not New England. That's not going to be New England for years. And so I would say get the rookie quarterback after a lost season, which should be your highest draft pick, hopefully, for years and years and years to come this April. Do your best to nail that and then move on and build around them. Because there, there's – it's like it's like having a gas pedal in your car. 
Okay, you can have all the rims that you want. You could have a healthy engine and everything or pick the engine. If you can't put your foot on the gas pedal, you're going nowhere. That's what this is. Apologies to all the, the folks who are car people that just heard me go, you're an idiot. On to stuff I know more about. Uh, Gary asking, uh, with the qualifier, I know this is low on the, quote, problem totem pole, the PTP. But why is special teams as bad as it's been? Is Chris Board a real player or someone Bill spoke highly of and we all just kind of took his word for it? So Chris Board uh, got treatment from Belichick week five of last year. Yeah, the Patriots are hosting the Lions and said he's as good as anyone will see in special teams. Well, as we know, if you can't beat him, though the Patriots did, uh, sign him. And so Belichick did. Two-year, $5 million deal, $2.6 million guaranteed for a guy who has two tackles in the last four weeks three in the last six weeks. And so he's not the problem, but it is certainly a lack of return on investment. And that speaks to a lot of special teams because when you look at the Patriots game day roster on Sunday, 17% of the players in the roster only played special teams. That's it. And you look at the day that they had four penalties on special teams, including one from Ty Montgomery and two from Brendan Schooler, who are among that 17%. Didn't take a snap on offense, didn't take a snap on defense. This is the only thing you have to do, and they both committed penalties. So it's not only the investment that's being wasted. It's that the, the players who are not contributing in other areas are bringing down the one area that they are contributing to. And so it is penalties. It's having a rookie punter and kicker. And Chad Ryland hasn't missed a kick in the last three weeks. Um, and Bryce Berenger, you know, dropped two inside the 20, did have one for a touchback. But the one he had for a touchback was kicked from midfield. Like, that should be a layup. And you're missing these because they're rookies. And that'll happen. So between the combination of the penalties, spending too much to the point where, I think really, unless you have a top 10 special teams, maybe top five, there's no real way to ensure that you get proper return on that investment. Um, given how much... Just roster space, let alone dollars, millions of dollars just spending on special teams to make sure that it's worth it. And it's obviously not. Again, 26th according to PFF, 29th according to DVOA. And that was going into Sunday. We'll see what DVOA says on Wednesday. So it's just bad. It's all bad. It's field position. It's stuff that's avoidable. Yeah, there are some iffy calls as we saw on Sunday. But over time, this has been a bad unit. And I think you see a decline to certain players. Like Joe Cardona, highest paid long snapper or was coming into the year. Several penalties for him. Matthew Slater, not the same guy he was. No one's blaming the good Reverend Matthew. Uh, the dude's almost 40, but that's just what it is. And I think it's, in one way, you know, really encapsulates the way that Belichick needs to modernize him, the way he builds a roster or value certain players in position. Okay, so you guys have heard me talk a fair amount about betting on this podcast, giving you some advice, told you where to make those bets. So I got a quick question for you. What if there was an app that used AI and machine learning to suggest smart sports bets. Well, good news, and you might have guessed it, there is, and that app is called Odds R. It's the mobile app you need to know what bets of the day are the smart ones. So just download the app right now, I'm serious, and sign up for an account, and just let the latest data analysis guide you through today's point spreads, money lines, and over-unders. If you see green, that's a smart bet. If you see yellow, you're on your own. And if you see red, just don't do it. Move on to the next. Because odds are doesn't take your bets. It makes you better at making them. And with odds are on your mobile phone, you're always a tap away from making a smart play every day. It's smart betting made simple. So find the odds are app 
in the App Store or on Google Play and get a two-week free trial. It's just 10 bucks a month after that because the casinos and sportsbooks want you to bet, but odds are wants you to win. Go get it. Pat's Interference listeners actually get a special deal too. You get your first 30 days of the app free, totally free. If you go to odds are, that's O-D-D-S, the letter R, dot com slash Pat's to download the app. That's odds are.com slash P-A-T-S for 30 days of smarter betting. Free! I'd call that a winning bet. Okay, enough special teams. Uh, Epri, quote, the Patriots lack in talent, in parentheses, everywhere. And now seemingly culture, more parentheses, Parker's extension without merit, bringing JC back, keeping Jack rostered, uh, in parentheses, the culture has been compromised by the lack of talent, Epri says, without a strong locker room with the worst roster in the league. Well, where do you even begin? So this is a much longer conversation. <laughs> um, I laugh just because I, I just realized this is going to be the next three, four months of my life, and we're all going to get there, presumably in the offseason, uh, January if, if we get to a coaching change or not, but if there isn't a coaching change, it'll make major changes. And I'll, so I'll just generalize here and say, you have to start top down. The, the, the people and the processes that led you to build this roster that is starved of talent, not just blue chip talent, but above average talent. I mean, reminder, Stevenson right now is the only above average player you have on offense. You could argue Trent Brown, but the market speaks for itself in terms of teams that are just not willing to pay for him when he's not in a contract year. He's playing great right now. He's also been hurt. So consistently above average players, one, one on offense, and that's it. So whether it's the people that led to those um, decisions or the processes of, you know, how you rank what positions deserve to be, uh, you know, address first or how much money you're spent into them or what do we believe in? What are we about? Everything needs to be questioned down to a fundamental level. And it's the people that are setting that philosophy and setting those processes into place and those systems that need to be addressed. And so there's a trickle down effect from when you talk about culture, like culture is just habits. It's what you do every day, what you're about every day. Are you on time? Okay. How hard, how much time do you spend studying film? What is the communication like between coaches and players? What needs to be said? Versus what just goes unsaid as far as showing up or if you're a receiver staying on the jug machine after or whatever it might be. You know, all those proverbial little things, which are not really little things. Well, then let's just knock on little things. Anyway, you you start at the top because those people are then going to hire people underneath them to carry out their message. And for more than 20 years, Bill Belichick did this better than anyone. Nick Saban said it last week. One of Belichick's greatest strengths is having every single person on the same page. You can see it as well as I can that right now that's not the case. They might be quiet about it, but J.C. Jackson just showing up from L.A., uh, not playing great. Jack Jones coming back from injury, coming off of a a brush with the law, frankly, not playing well, just gets benched for a quarter. And Adrian Phillips is like, well, they play it anyway, so you'd have to talk to them. Like, it hasn't happened yet, all this talk about the locker room imploding, but that is the next step. So I'm not here to damn the culture, but... When they do assess, whether it's with Belichick or without him, like it, it goes top down. Who are the people making these decisions? Why are you making them? That lead to the processes and systems that lead to a two and seven season, which again, the second worst point differential in the league. All right, uh, Water Boys, more roster talk. Quote: Is the dearth of talent so bad for the Patriots that if they get the first or second pick, they would risk? <laughs> I've never heard this phrase before. David Carring. One of them. Should they build around another year before they find 
a quarterback. So there, unless I'm just being obtuse, there there are two things this could mean. One means David Carr, and that you take David Carr as the Texans did in 2002, surround him with, and I think this is what Waterboys means. Um, you know, surrounded with the worst offensive line. He, he gets hit too many times or he's just driven out of the league. Like there are probably still pieces of David Carr's DNA in the turf down in Houston because how often he just got pile drove down there playing for terrible Texans teams. You're saying, skip it, we can't screw him up. To which I would say, no, again, get the quarterback, spend the money, you're going to have it this offseason, build a decent offensive line. And let's be honest, if you get a competent, proven veteran right tackle and from left to right go Trent Brown, Cole Strange, or swap out a guard, I don't care. David Andrews, Michael Wenu, said right tackle. You're you're in good shape. Um, so no, I would I would not pass over a quarterback with the first or second round pick. If you mean Derek Carr, who was taken early in the second round, and would you say, okay, let's take that top pick and invest in an offensive lineman? Because there are a couple of great ones at the top this year, or should be. Um, I would say no. I, I the only reliable place on planet Earth to get a franchise NFL quarterback is in the top 10 of the NFL draft. It's not a guarantee. It doesn't mean you can't find them elsewhere, but year after year after year, that is the one place that will give you the highest percentage chance of landing the most important player at the most important position. Go ahead and pull the trigger. And uh, again, just accept that you might not be right, no matter how much scouting and effort you put into that. All right. uh, Lawrence has a quote NFL question this week. Quote, what recourse do players have for the ridiculous fines they're getting for playing football? So Lawrence Shirley speaking to defensive players uh, for hitting, you know, above the head or hitting the head or hitting too hard or defenseless or the roughing the passer penalty that Washington got on Sunday, which is completely erroneous. Uh, You have an arbiter. So you appeal. You appeal to the league. Your agent typically does this for players. There's a Zoom uh, off in midweek. So let's say Patriots player got fined for something he did on Sunday. The fine would come down the following Saturday. And then the following week, you would have a window to appeal, schedule a Zoom, make your case. They'd review the tape and then pass down a decision a couple days later. So that's really it. I mean, the arbiter is typically an ex-player or ex-coach. And either the fine comes down or it gets wiped off entirely. And that's really the process there. Not particularly interesting, but um, yeah, there there is a way for them to get the fines uh, tossed out the window. Uh, More Chris Board talk. Jordan, has Chris Board done anything? Wow. Hope so because he got paid all caps again by Bill. As I mentioned, two-year, $5 million deal, 2.6 guaranteed, four tackles, two in the last four weeks. So the answer is uh, not much. And I can tell you this. uh, It's not just Jordan and who asked about special teams earlier. Uh, Gary, there are people in the building who are aware of the special team spending that has gone on, uh, led and steered by Bill Belichick, and are not happy about it. And I will leave it at that. Jeff. Is asking, uh, this is a Kayshawn Booty question. This is how I know we were going to get to Kayshawn Booty. Andrew, quote, uh, with Thornton getting benched, and Juju and Rager both making costly drops, dot, dot, dot. Could it be time? You know what I speak of. I'm in. I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you just ground me down, and this is where we're at. We're Kayshawn Booty, a six-round rookie. Let's repeat this so everyone understands. A sixth-round rookie has become this just battle cry for fans upset with Bill Belichick and this stark moment where we all go, oh my God, he lost it because he didn't play Kayshawn Booty, who, yeah, was a professional healthy scratch and had played as many snaps as the rest of us combined watching these games on Sunday over the last eight weeks. But you got to play him. Well, I have no idea. 
because <laughs> I know that he did actually have a good week of practice. I followed up with that, texted some people today just to be sure. Hey, was Bill just effing around just to eff around? No, he had a good week of practice. But the Patriots felt Josh Uche back and a couple other guys that you could take from the receiver room, and that's how it went. And I don't agree with the decision. Play the kid. I don't have high, high hopes for Kayshawn Booty. Like the highlight of him at Green Bay needs to go in a wing of the Hall of Fame, the Patriots Hall of Fame, that doesn't exist yet. But again, we invent a lot of stuff on this podcast, so just bear with me. Of things that fans and certain media, it's on us too, care way more about than anyone else on planet Earth ever should. And it is this highlight of running a, a slant against soft zone where Packer safety takes a horrendous angle and he gets to run to daylight, okay, like he's a fan doing a mid-quarter commercial break contest, get to the end zone first, and he wins, even though he had no resistance whatsoever, okay? It, it, it's not the highlight that we think it is. Now, I'm trying to think of other things that would exist in this kind of wing. Uh, how about the, the clip of Tom Brady blowing up with Bill O'Brien and Josh McDaniels on the sideline in, in Buffalo? doesn't matter. That's how people talk to each other in the NFL. Moving on. Uh, I think he should play. I just mentioned, I think Tyquan Thornton, Possibly could be a healthy scratch for Indianapolis. Uh, if he doesn't mysteriously pop up in the injury report, he did on Friday with a foot injury. He was healthy enough to play, though, obviously, on Sunday. So, yeah, I think it could be time. But he had his, he legitimately had his best week of practice. I don't think he's anywhere near the player seen 2020 at LSU. That was three years ago, setting all those records. Since then, he's tested poorly at the combine, fallen to the sixth round in the draft and not played in eight of nine possible regular season games for a team with the worst receiving goal in the league. So it's not a personal vendetta against Keishon Booty. The Patriots genuinely think he's not that good, and there are other options which stink are better than him. And I'm inclined, at least for now, to believe them still. Okay, uh, two more. Boy, Boston GM, quote, can you catch us up on the likeliest head coach candidates in a potential post-Bill world? Vrabel seems to have been added to the mix this weekend. Is it a rumor or speculation akin to the Bill, the Washington stuff? Have you heard anything about uh, anyone other than Vrabel and Mayo? So on the front end, this is purely speculation. Like I, I, I don't know where this came up other than a piece in the Boston Globe that detailed, you know, what comes next for control of the Patriots franchise and it cited two team, no, not team sources, sources close to the team, which technically could include, I don't know, up to a thousand people. So I would just say that I think the Crafts would prefer to hand the reins, if they do, to someone they're familiar with and who is not going to uproot all of the systems in place for the last 24 years. That you can continue and modernize and tweak what Bill Belichick has done with so many people and successfully so for most of those 24 years. Mike Vrabel obviously fits the bill. He is someone who might be able to modernize the Patriots in a way, like updating their analytics department, expanding some of their uh, medical and athletic training staff, all these different things that could be a help. They also might still hand it to Gerard Mayo, but this also depends. If the Patriots go 4-13, and 13, are you really, again, pulling out a, a, a brick from the rubble of this season as your first building block for next year? Doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but if that's their guy, that's their guy. So... I would just say it's all speculation. I think it depends on what the Titans do. I don't know if the Crafts uh, would be comfortable pulling Mike Vrabel away. I don't know what his contract is like. Would they have to trade for him? Because now you're dealing with potentially two coaching trades. As far as the Bill to Washington stuff, I talked about it last week. It's more. It's just connecting dots. 
And the most interesting thing leading up to a game between two of the team, two of the league's least interesting teams. So that's where we landed. I just, I wouldn't put too much stock into that. Um, and I would bet by the time we get to the offseason, Mike Rabel will be asked about it by local media down there if the Titans continue to spiral, which we don't know they will. He's a very good coach. Uh, and if the Patriots do bring back Mike Rabel, I, I, I would applaud the move. I think that'd be a very, very wise decision. But his choice then for offensive coordinator, and this goes for anyone coming in, is going to be the most critical hire that maybe any coach can make in the league, considering just the dearth of talent here uh, and the likelihood you'll have a young quarterback, whether it's Mac Jones or not. Last question, Brett, <laughs> dumping on uh, Tyquan Thornton here. Quote, he can't run routes or take NFL physicality without injury. Gesicki is the fifth receiver, as Bill Belichick told us on Sunday, but never gets passes thrown his way. Juju Smith-Schuster seems washed and overpaid, and Booty is having, quote, good practices but no playing time. What is going on here? Maybe I should have answered this first because um, <laughs> I think we just talked about it. Like Juju was the fourth of four receivers in the first half. And then Thornton said, nah, man, I'm the fourth. And the Patriots benched him. And so it's bad drafting. It's bad signings. Mike Kosicki saw one pass. Granted, it, he was blanketed on the play. It was more man coverage. Uh, that the Patriots just couldn't get away from. And so it just is what it is. I, I I hope Kayshawn Booty plays. This is, <laughs> this is how, whether it's the Patriots or who's our guy, uh, Jeff or Brett has just beat me down. I, I'm rooting for the kid to play. Let's see something new. Let's mix it up. Devontae Parker, I, I would think, would be back from a concussion. We don't know. But it, it's just bad all the way around. And now we've come full circle. Whether it's the draft or free agency or this season, the Patriots are a bad football team. We're tracking to be potentially the worst in the entire league. And that's a uh, hard pill to swallow. All right. I, I said we would keep this short. Obviously, we did not because this is what happens when I talk to myself and uh, drink alone. So we will see you later this week. Patriots-Colts. A game, again, I think they can win. Not again. I haven't said that yet. They can win. Legitimately can win. Um, Doug Kyle will be back on the podcast. We will be from Germany and then have plenty of coverage coming to you from Frankfurt. It should be a heck of an event and then a very well-timed buy. As we in the media love to ask every single bye week, is the buy is the buy coming at a good time? Let me answer this for every Patriots player and coach on the front end. Yes. Yes, it is coming at a good time. It is coming at a good time for us. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. This has been another episode of Pats Interference brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive waiting part of the CLNS Media Network. A happy Monday or Tuesday to you and yours, and we will see you later this week from Frankfurt.